for development finance for Africa, there are two big institutions, Africa Bank, African Development Bank. Are they deep enough for the needs of the continent? I mean, for example, we're talking about the power for the African continent. You look at the Grand Inga mm -hmm. and what it could do, and I know the AFDB have had various feasibility studies. Mm -hmm. There needs to be money to drive the agenda, and we can't depend on Western money because, they, of course, they can help, but some of that money has strings. What do you think AFREXIM and AFDB need to do to really crack development finance on the continent? Well, really, the role has to be, or have to be, both of them are, are catalyzers. Mm. You know, uh, they know where the money is. Mm -hmm. They don't have to have all the money. Uh, and their politics can also get in the way of certain things. If they just focus on being catalyzers, you know, one of the interesting things about these times is there is an abundance of capital in the world. Uh, French economist uh, Thomas Piketty obviously uh, has acquired a bit of fame talking about the fact that there is more capital available today than at any point in human history. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as he likes to put it, it is in a few hands. Mm -hmm. uh, his approach is more socialistic in trying to deal with that. I tend to be uh, inclined towards making practical and real the competition doctrine. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that if we dress up properly, mm. we can attract that capital. Mm. I mean, a dozen or so men in California own more capital than the entire continent of Africa. Yeah. Uh, the role of Africa in Bank and uh, uh, African Development Bank uh, should not be to generation of capital to compete with them mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. is to make them understand that they can do better for themselves invest in those monies in Africa and I think that they're in a position to do this between interested parties mm. so Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. is part of civil society mm -hmm. uh, associational life is mm -hmm. what civil society really is mm -hmm. so when you get the Chamber of Commerce or Confederation of Industry. Or trade union or be part trade of unions it. are part of it. <clears throat> Academia. Academic. Yeah. Uh, as in you know, media. Media. Very critical part of civil society. Mm. And we must not forget mm. that central, I mean, person who does that so well is the, um, the German philosopher, contemporary philosopher, Jürgen Habermas, mm -hmm. who tells you that modernity and democracy mm. meet at that nexus mm. of rational public conversation. Mm. And so the, this program, for example, if we are discussing rationally and other people have rational discussions on the same subject, we will invariably come to a synthesis of what's best. Mm -hmm. um, as different, of course, from when we are abusing each other, mm -hmm. still so many cases in Africa, rather than rational public conversation. So that is where modernity and democracy meet. And that is the essence of progress, the marketplace of ideas. Mm. When we don't have a strong marketplace of ideas, then economic life will suffer. And even social life will suffer because of it. 
Wow. We're chatting to Professor Patutomi, who's um, I don't know, a man of many parts, leadership. Have you call him a, poly, uh, what, a polymath, if you want? He's um, involved in leadership, business, economics, and values as well at the silence of WTO Forum here in Geneva. Prof, let's talk about Africa and West Africa briefly. I, why do I even start? Ghana released a trade vulnerability report for last year. Our top three exports, gold, cocoa, oil, not value added. Top three destinations, Switzerland in Europe, China, North America. Not enough with our colleagues. This has been so for years. I, I don't know about Nigeria, but it seems to be the same story. You export raw, you import finished. You export to the West, you import back from the West or the East. Why has this persisted for so long? Uh, there are many reasons. Uh, of course, the starting point, what we've overburdened that, overlabeled it, is the colonial mm-hmm. intervention, the uh, Berlin Conference and Partition of Africa, <clears throat> and the convenience of Europe, and, and all of that. First of all, in many cases, they created very small countries as markets, but that's not enough uh, of an excuse. They brought language barriers that people can speak to those across the border because they don't understand each other. So it makes trade more difficult because trust, knowing people, is critical to trade. And if you don't understand each other from language, then they brought out structures in terms of uh, financing instruments and all of that. That means that it is easier. In fact, a, a famous story many, many years ago mm-hmm. of a, a football match, a soccer match. Uh, uh, I think Nigeria Togo were playing a football match. And the way the transmission used to go is it will go from Togo, I think match was in Lomi, to, to Paris. Come down to Paris to London. London and to Lagos. Come down to Lagos. Oh, and, and, you know, the way that the telecoms was going, people were hearing this course like 15 minutes <laughs> oh, Lord. after or something like that. Yeah. And so those conditions all added. But there is much more to it today. You see, the kinds of volumes that are required to participate in international trade mm-hmm. are such that we don't aggregate enough in Africa because of these borders. Mm-hmm. And part of why we have after in my view, mm-hmm. is to facilitate cross-border aggregation. Mm. Let's take cocoa, for example. We grow all this cocoa in Ghana, mm-hmm. we grow in Nigeria, and Cote d'Ivoire. If we could aggregate cocoa produced in these three countries, there will be such volume that we can process mm. and supply international markets mm-hmm. from Africa more readily. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when the Americans gave us a window under Goa, mm-hmm. <clears throat> many countries, including Nigeria, did not profit enough from Goa. Why? If Walmart is going to get blue jeans from you, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to supply one million units every week. Mm. I mean, how many, how many people in Africa can produce? Yeah. But if you can have factories in, in Ghana, in Togo, in Nigeria, and somebody goes around ensuring the same standard, aggregates them, mm. and delivers to the doors of Walmart in 
New York or Arkansas or wherever, mm. 500,000 pieces of blue jeans every day. Then we will be a bigger part of global trade. So this challenge of aggregation was solved by the, our Asian uh, brothers uh, with companies like Marubeni, mm -hmm. big trading companies. Their business is to essentially aggregate sell. And part of what I have been pushing that we do in Africa is create those trading companies across regions. Mm -hmm. If we had, say, a West Africa trading company, mm -hmm. it could even be a joint venture with Marubeni. Mm -hmm. And it aggregates across Nigeria, Ghana, and Togo, and it, it sells into those world markets. Our share of world trade will go up dramatically. Mm. Another very important thing is that we manage very poorly cabotage acts that should facilitate uh, in West Africa, for example, with this long coastline, mm -hmm. you know, shipping yeah. between the countries. Yeah. It will help with aggregation. It will help with the fact that you can make a small part of necessarily supply a uh, certain value chain mm -hmm. and the person in Ghana can make a small part of that and look many years ago I, I used to run the Volkswagen plant in Nigeria mm -hmm. and um, I used to say that if we had any sense we would shut down the factory mm -hmm. people used to think I was crazy how can you run a plant and you say if you had any sense you shut it down we will choose one or two components in the motor car in which we had strong factor endowments, mm -hmm. let's take rubber. Mm -hmm. And we'll agree with Volkswagen that all of its particular rubber components mm -hmm. will be produced in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And we export that component into the supply chain mm -hmm. of Volkswagen. We will create millions of jobs in Nigeria that will get higher, you know, value because it's value added, mm -hmm. and it will essentially be much better than we're earning from crude oil. Mm. And um, people used to say, say, "This guy is crazy. This guy is crazy." Well, there's a professor at Oxford mm. called Paul Collier. Yeah, came to interview me back in the late '80s or so. And, uh, and I told him all of this. You know, many years later, though, um, you need to. Mm -hmm. when, when we were telling the story, China was a backward country. Mm. Many years later, China had made so much progress in manufacturing that um, you need to, which now then had a, an African as a director general, Kande Yumkela, Dr. Mm -hmm. Yumkela. Um, commissioned the study mm -hmm. to see what Africa could learn from what China was doing. And uh, Professor Collier was uh, uh, commissioned to do that study. <laughs> you know, when Collier finished, we invited him to Nigeria. He said, you know, what struck him in that study, as a given example, say, there's a local government in China mm -hmm. that produces more than 70% of all the buttons worn in the entire planet. Jesus. Button, just body, button. Wow. One company, one, yeah. company. one local government in China. 
Wow. He said, and he thought to himself, this is what Patu told me, he said Nigeria should do 25 years ago. Wow. Wow. You know. Um, so, um, today, uh, a Chinese economist called Justin Lin, who was at the World Bank, uh, was first so-called development world mm-hmm. originating uh, vice president yeah. uh, that they had for um, economic uh, policy, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and began to talk about the idea of latent comparative advantage. Mm. And the concept, the idea of latent comparative advantage is to look at your factor endowments, mm-hmm. essentially look at the value chain where you are adding value locally and look at that global value chain and use limited industrial policy mm-hmm. to strengthen ability to play a dominant role in that value chain. Wow. And I think that this is what AFTA should help us do. Uh, uh, I believe in free trade, but uh, freedom has its, it's, it's, its own challenges. Challenge. So this free trade should be managed free trade mm-hmm. to create fairness. For okay. Speaking of which, the country that you are from initially had issues with AFTA. Nigeria is seen to be very protectionist in West Africa. There are unilateral border closures in relation to the Benin border, for example. And there appears to be a feeling in Nigeria that because such a big market, they can afford to be protectionist. Whereas, if you look at West Africa, if Nigeria opened up, my uneducated view is that they will stand to benefit better. I don't know if the thinking in Rock has changed around how they should see the continent and the role they have to play in leading economic transformation, or is this still very protectionist in this, in this core essence? Your uneducated view is much more educated than that of Nigerian political <laughs> leaders. <laughs> wow. It's leadership failure in Nigeria that leads to those kind of silly policies. Mm. Um, let's look at the history of trade in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Human prosperity and progress, if you look at history, mm-hmm. often takes off with trade. Yeah. And as people begin to prosper, they begin to get envious of their prosperity being shared or taken away by others. Mm-hmm. And as they get there, they begin to introduce what economists call beggar thy neighbor policies. Invariably, mm-hmm. those policies lead to economic failure. Mm. And then you have a, a depression or whatever. Mm. And you know, amazingly, economic depressions invariably tend to lead to war. Mm. Then there's a big war and so many people lose their lives and property, you know, this value is destroyed, and then we begin again. This cycle has dominated how we have acted in the world, and this is probably what informed the Bretton Woods mm-hmm. ideas that we could have, say, an IMF that can prevent our translating bad behavior in one economy into another economy and then creating problems for the whole mm-hmm. uh, global economic system. But what has happened with um, 
this is that the IMF sometimes has not played this role well enough, which is why uh, when someone like Joseph Stiglitz uh, writes a book, Globalization and Its Discontents, he basically accuses the IMF of essentially becoming tax collectors or <laughs> debt collectors mm-hmm. or bankers who yeah, yeah. made the wrong choices. Recklessly lend yeah. to because they were desperate to recycle petrodollars. Yeah. And they recklessly lent people and then they then used the IMF to then to force restructuring yeah. to pay them back. Right. So Which is happening in Ghana now by the way. Very sadly, um, we need no. a new <laughs> global no. economic no. order. Mm-hmm. That prevents that mm. from from happening. But we should begin to implement it in our sub-region. Mm. If we trade intelligently, mm. because we have different endowments, mm. we should profit more mm. from that trading. Mm. We just need more serious-minded leaders and decent bureaucracies to facilitate. This is the City Breakfast Show, the city's biggest conversation. Join the conversation on the City Breakfast Show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag CityCBS.